Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy day. We thank you for the privilege of being called your children and of knowing how good you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we ask that you take this time, these words of mine, and transform them into yours, because if they are my words or my thoughts, um, it'll be a mess. But if they're your words and your thoughts, lives will change, ears will be opened. So take our granite hearts, heads, eyes, ears, chisel out new places so we can see, hear, and know that you are with us and for us. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles if you brought your Bibles. If not, you can open the Pew Bible, um, or you can get your phone out and Um, Open the Bible app and open to John chapter 14, which is where we are, and we're going to get to see Jesus. So I want to put us and notice where Jesus is, because the last time we saw Jesus, he was raising Lazarus from the dead, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then... Very quickly, in the Gospel of John, he moves to the last Passover time, and he's on his way to the cross. If you open to John chapter 13, verse 1, you'll see that they have moved into the upper room. So Jesus is in the upper room, he's with his disciples, and the rest of this teaching is happening with his closest disciples and to them. He washes their feet in John chapter 13. So it takes time to wash their feet. And if you've been here for very long, you know I think that is very, very important. But it's not for today's sermon. So you all don't have to wash feet today. Um, But I would encourage you to be a foot washer in general. Then Jesus foretells his betrayal. And then you go down to John 13, um, 36. And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Tough teaching, tough reminding of this. Um, Peter is passionate. He wants to be with Jesus. He'll lay down his life for Jesus. He's going to do these things for Jesus. And Jesus tells him, you don't know where I'm going. You don't know the future I have. You don't know the difficult journey I have. And what moves into the section of our gospel reading, which is going to contain the I am statement, remembering that we're doing the seven signs and wonders this summer in the gospel of John and the seven I am statements. We're almost done. And this is the sixth I am statement here. If you have your Bible, I want you to circle or underline or remind yourself before John chapter 14 that these words are supposed to be comforting. 
The intent of Jesus here is to look to these disciples whom he loves, has been with for three years, has been by his side. They still don't get it. They're still confused. Peter is saying, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And within 24 hours of this, he will have denied Jesus three times and have run off to be away from him. And Jesus is looking to these people and he wants to comfort them. So what he's saying are words of comfort to people he loves. And it's important because the I am statement here that we're going to get to has become for many not words of comfort, but words of exclusion. And words that make it so that others are out and some are in, where what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to look to those that he loves and says, you know me. And that's the heart of what we're doing here. So Jesus begins in John chapter 14, and he uses actually a wedding illustration. And it's interesting because um, this is a very common verse that I do at memorial services. It's one of the ones assigned in the occasional services book for funerals. Um, It comes up a lot because it talks about this future that Jesus is preparing. And the illustration that's happening here is an illustration that in Jesus's time, when he's alive, what would happen, the way you would get married, is you would go, uh, a man would go to his wife, I would go to Emily, and I'd say, Emily, will you marry me? She would wonder about it for a week and a half or so, and then she would say, uh, I, I suppose so. And very romantic. Um, And at that time, then after that happened, I would go away back to my father's house and I would start building us a place to live. And I would go out and I'd start, because what we would do is we'd add on to the property that my dad had. And so I would start building us a house and a room for us to live in. And I would start building, and in this process, of course, I'm growing up, I'm learning new skills, I'm maturing, you're doing all these wonderful things that are happening as you're building, and you go to your father and you say, Dad, is the room ready yet so I can go get Emily? And the dad would go, my dad would look and say, no, you know, this needs to get fixed, that's not right, change this. And I'd go, oh, okay. And I'd start continuing the room, and I'd fix the room more. And I'd go back to my father, and he'd say, it's not ready yet. And then we'd do this back and forth. Meanwhile, Emily, every night, would be lighting a candle and putting it in her window. And she'd be waiting, waiting for her groom to come and to get her. Finally, one day, I've finished the room. My dad comes out and he says, it's ready. You're done. Go and get your bride. I call up all of my friends and I say, it's time. And we march through the village, through the city, through the town, and we go and we get her. And Emily's been waiting for this. And this kicks off then this marriage celebration, this week-long party that's happening. So when Jesus says, don't you know I'm going to prepare a place for you, it would be like us saying, don't you know I'm preparing the wedding celebration? Don't you know I'm, I'm booking the venue? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting the DJ ready. It's, it's less romantic, right, when you talk about it that way. But he's, he's getting things ready for them and has this beautiful celebration at the end. These are words of comfort. Don't you know I'm going to go and get and make a wonderful place for us? 
And that's what's going on behind here. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. All of this beautiful wedding illustration. Don't you know a groom loves his wife? Don't you know he wants to be with her? He's waiting to get her. Don't you know all of that? I'm coming. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then Thomas, he has this line, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we possibly know the way? Um, and Jesus says to him then, I am, ego me. one of our, our I am statements. So you need to hear this with the authority of the name Yahweh, right? From the burning bush, God's name in Throughout the scriptures, this holy name, and Jesus is referring to it, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am. What's the way to this place we're going? And I think Thomas, because you know he's called Doubting Thomas, he has a good question. He's saying, I don't know where you're going, How can I possibly know the way to get there? I might know the way, but I don't know where we're going. And that's a fair question. If you look at your friend and you say, let's go, don't you know the way? They might say, maybe. (laughs) Where are we going? Oh, we're going to, you know, Pasadena. Okay, yeah, I know the way there. But if you don't know the way, if you don't know where you're going, you don't know the way. And Jesus, in his statement back to Thomas, does not tell them the answer of where they're going. What does he tell them? He tells them that he is the path. The destination is not the priority, but you know the person who is going to take you there. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, I mentioned that I think it's important that we see this as a comforting statement. And it's important because when we, when we see this as an um, authoritative statement, we said this a couple of weeks ago, the voice we put on Jesus is so important. And I see this with a wonderful compassion for these people whom he loves who have been very, very confused, right? Who have been very, very confused and who don't know what's going on. And so with this beautiful compassion, he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Now, we also, in the 21st century, this word truth comes loaded like a time bomb. Because truth is, you know, we're all searching for truth and and we want truth. And ever since the uh, scientific resolution in the 18th century or so, truth has been immediately paired with the scientific method. Right? So truth are things that you can put in a test tube, and every time the same thing happens. I pick up this book and I let it go. Every time it falls at 32 second, 32 feet per second squared, which is the speed of gravity coming down, and that is just how it goes. I can do it with anything. Every time I measure it and it happens every time, that is truth. I have two apples and two more apples, and they become four apples. And so truth becomes something that we can measure and we can scientifically verify. This is what dominates our definition of truth. Jesus is not speaking about a truth that comes out of a test tube. 
Jesus is speaking about a truth in which you trust and the world is different. A way of seeing, a way of believing, a way of thinking about the world. And in that trust, you see a new kind of world. The truth that Jesus is speaking about is him being the truth. As a Christian, when we hear the word, what is truth? Our simple answer should be Jesus Christ. Truth is a man. Truth is a relationship with the living God. Truth is not a doctrine in which we take and beat others over the head with. Truth is life together with a God who gives himself for us so that we can be full of the Holy Spirit and give ourselves for our neighbor. That's what truth is. But the word truth has been so overwhelmed by the rest of truths that it becomes muddled. A great illustration um, that I love is the difference between like a knowledge and truth is the story of a, a tightrope walker, and there's a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And this tightrope walker takes the tightrope, and he walks across it, boop, and he walks back. And then he stands, and a crowd is there, and he looks to the crowd and says, how many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope again and make it? Well, they've just seen him do it. So what do they say? We believe. We believe that you can do that. And he grabs a wheelbarrow. And he puts the wheelbarrow on the tightrope, and he walks across the tightrope with the wheelbarrow, and he walks back across. And he says, how many of you believe I can walk across this tightrope with this wheelbarrow again? Oh, we believe. We believe. And then he says something that quiets the whole crowd. What does he say? He says, which of you wants to get into the wheelbarrow? <laughs> now, knowledge and truth standing on the side of Niagara Falls, watching him do it, and agreeing with him, Believing that he can do that is one thing. Getting into the wheelbarrow and having your life held by him as he walks across and comes back is something different. The truth that Jesus is referring to is the truth of getting into the wheelbarrow and believing in him and trusting that he is the way and the truth and the life. So the story ends that as he asks the question and silences the whole crowd, who wants to get into the wheelbarrow? One little girl from the back raises her hand. And she says, I'll get in the wheelbarrow. She gets in the wheelbarrow. She has pushed across and back. And she gets safely out of the wheelbarrow. And the reporters rush the little girl. And they say, why did you do that? How could you get into that wheelbarrow? How could you believe in him? And she looks at the reporters and she says, of course I got in the wheelbarrow. He's my dad. That's a comforting truth. That's looking to the people who've been following you, the disciples who've been in the mess with you, who've had their life feared for because they're trusting you. That's what he's Referring to, I'm the one you know. You don't need to worry about all these different ideas and these things. You just need to be with me and believe that I'll walk you safely across. This is why it's critical that this passage become one that is coded 
in Jesus loving and comforting his disciples and today loving and comforting you. Calling you forward and saying, I'm the way. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress. You don't have to try to put everything perfectly. Just be with me. Just trust me. I have what you need. And I can carry you forward. Philip said to him, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And then Jesus says to him, and I think like, like a little you know, child, have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Jesus looking to Philip and saying, remember all these things I've done, all of the verifications by, by raising Lazarus from the dead, by healing the blind man, by the, the authority of which I speak, by, by calming the seas, the seven signs and wonders that we've gone through. If, they, if you don't believe just in me and believe in those works, and I'm about to do the greatest work by conquering sin and death and resurrection from dead. And this, that truth, that event is what changes the world. And in that, if that thing happened, if Jesus walked out of the tomb on Easter morning, then everything is different. And that is the center of what we are doing here. The reason that we come to this place, the reason that we give up our time, our money, our talents, the reason that we love and forgive is because we have first been loved and forgiven. And that is verified because of the resurrection. And so when, when the world feels like it's all upsy-downsy and te- leftsy and rightsy and up all topsy-turvy, it's the resurrection. Did Jesus walk out of that tomb? And if you walked out of that tomb, then you have a God who looks at you amidst the storms of this world and says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And you can feel safe in getting into the wheelbarrow and going across because he knows you and he's given himself for you. He's prepared a place for you. Just like the husband goes to prepare a place for his bride and eagerly wants to be with her, so goes Jesus to prepare a place for you. Does not give up on you, comforts you in the midst of these trials. And what's about to happen is the most insane thing these disciples have ever experienced. They're going to watch him go to the cross and three days later rise from the dead. And since that happened, we can move forward with comfort. Since that happened, we can have hope. We can feel free to forgive. We can feel free to love because his way is the truth and the life. So let us go into the school year. Let us go into this new September, October. Let us go knowing that Jesus looks at us to comfort us to remind us of his goodness, of his power, of his might, and draws us and says, come on, get into wheelbarrow with me. I have you. I'm enough. And so as we move from here into this table, we welcome you to receive the body and blood of Jesus, to receive his grace, to taste that he is for you, that he has given himself for you. And as you come forward, just know that each of these pieces of bread, each of this wine, is there for God to say, I have you. I'll hold you. 
and I won't give up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this room, and I thank you for these people. Lord, what a good God you are, that you have taken, taken us in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the chaos, and you have called us by name. You are the way and the truth and the life. Lord, let us not be confused. Let us not be floundering around at the correct ideas right now, but instead, let us simply rest in your arms. As the husband goes to prepare a place, so you go to prepare a place for us. And we can rest knowing that you have done that work by the power of your resurrection. You changed the world. Things are different. So Lord, give us your peace and your hope. Let us be reminded day by day of all that you're doing for us. Let us have this meal once again to hear you are for us. Lord, for anybody in this room who feels like their life is a storm, who feels like there's all sorts of things coming at them, just rocking their world. Lord, let them be reminded that you are there holding them as the one who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life.